This is the Douglas Robin Show. Welcome to Doug, Douglas Robin's Den of Discussion. Today we're speaking with corporate action hero, John Davis. I'm just going to read you his bio because it's, it's fascinating. John's background as a stuntman, fight director, college professor, artistic director, and comedian makes him an intriguing guest that draws your audience in and delivers real-world techniques for overcoming self-imposed limitations and achieving maximum potential even in times of adversity. And we're going to get back to that. After a serious back injury that left him paralyzed, John developed his 5F system of achievement. The system hacks the fight or flight response, shortening learning curves and increasing successful outcomes. Using the system, he regained his mobility and went on to perform over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting shows in 16 countries around the world. On 16 USO tours, John took his show to the front lines of both Iraq and Afghanistan from 2001 to 2006. John now is a highly sought after keynote speaker known as the corporate action hero. He delivers empowering programs to organizations globally. His programs are unique, out of the box, and even use bullwhips and nunchucks to develop his message. His website, www.corporateactionhero.com, you can go find him there. John, my friend, welcome. Well, I'm so happy to be in the den of dis- discussion. <laughs> yes, that's a song. We need a, a soundtrack or a melody oh, absolute, or something. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm very excited to be here. This is going to be really, really, really fun. Thank you, John. So uh, we spoke a little beforehand. So nice meeting you. Uh, let's get back at it, you know, because there's so much to discuss. And, uh, you know, it seems like you, you've done a ton and had a lot of experience. But it seems like the back injury... Um, was a pivotal moment in your life as it would be for anyone. And the Western doctors, Western medicine said, you're never going to walk again. You are going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. What happened? What led up to that? And obviously all sorts of emotions and thoughts go into this. And these are authorities. These are the people who are in the know, right? They're supposed to be the trusted ones. Tell me what led up to that, what happened, and then, and then how you kind of navigated through that. Well, you're you're absolutely right. It was it was the most pivotal moment of my life. It was the it was a great moment and it was a bad moment at the same yeah. time. And I also want to say that those medical professional professionals who told me that I would never, uh, possibly never walk again and definitely would never have another a physical career again, yeah. were doing so out of the goodness of their heart. That's what they truly believed, and I held no no nothing against them. <clears throat> um, that's what they've been trained to to think when they saw the data that was in front of them. Right. Um, for me, when I was a young man, my goal was to be a stuntman and a fight director and, and have a very physical career. And I was going for my black belt in Taekwondo and I was in just just really phenomenal shape. And back in those days, I had Fabio hair as opposed to the Telly Savalas hair I have now. Right, right. You and I go to the same barber. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's not a bald head. That's a solar panel for a love machine. Anyway, uh, so the next thing that happened was I... Uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, can you come over to my house and help me unload my van? And to me, at that point in my life, I was always looking for the next workout. I was always very physical that way. And this guy was a professional potter, and his van was full of 80-pound boxes of clay. Okay. And so I was like, all right, this is going to be a great workout. So I went right. out to his house, climbed up in the van, picked up the very first box, twisted the set it outside of the van, and my spine broke in two. Oh, my goodness. The upper part of my spine literally cracked off the lower half of my spine and I collapsed and was paralyzed. Oh Lord. It took me to the hospital. The doctors told me, he says, John, you have a condition known as spina bifida occulta. And I said, gesundheit. Cause right. I had no idea what that meant. He said, uh, he said, basically three of your vertebrae never formed properly at birth. And with the extra weight and the twisting action, you literally cracked the top half of your spine off the lower half of your spine. And then he said oh the goodness. words that n- no martial artist ever wants to hear you may never walk again and you definitely will never have a physical career in your life. So start looking for a sedentary job now. Yeah. Now, when a doctor says that your family will start mirroring what the doctor says, you know, cause they're, they're well-intentioned, of course, they're, they don't want you to get your hopes up and in, in a direction that'll never happen. But 
a very dear friend of mine gave me a book at that exact time called the Tao Ji Kune Do by Bruce Lee. And, you know, it sounds like a, almost like a cruel joke to, <laughs> to walk into a hospital room and give the martial artist who was just told he'd never do martial arts again, a book written about martial arts by the greatest martial artist that ever lived. Right? It seems like a really cruel joke in a sense, but it was the best thing that could have happened because that book is about his philosophy of martial arts. And Jeet Kune Do is a philosophy more than it is an actual style because it's, it's always talking about being adaptable and moving forward. And I found out later that Bruce wrote that book when he was himself was in a hospital. Yes, sir. Yep. And so, you know, it, it was a very apropos book for me to read at that time. But a couple of things I took out of that book were, were, first of all, the concept of being very present, staying very much in your present moment, you know, being, being not tense, but, but active. And, and prepared. And the second thing I took was mental flexibility, you know, being like water, you know, as you come to a rock, you flow over through or around, but you, but you don't stop, you're still going to that eventual goal that you're going for. So I started just deciding that those doctors who were well intentioned, you know, are were giving me a belief. And that belief in my present moment was going to create something in my experience if I took that belief. So I decided to take my own belief rather than theirs. And I decided today I'm going to leverage this small present moment as Bruce would do. And I'm just going to start fixing myself. And I started with my neck and I just started working my neck and flexing my neck muscles. And over the course of a couple of weeks, I worked my way down my back to all various muscle groups and my arms and the whole bit. And then about th three weeks in, I actually flexed my hips, which was below the injury. Um, and then at a month and a half, I was able to set up at uh, six months, I was able to walk, walk around. At a year, I was pretty much back to what you would consider a normal physicality, but I was not back to my rock-hard masculine self. But at a year and six months, I was back to my rock-hard masculine self, and I gave myself a gift, and that gift was that I climbed up on top of a three-story tower and jumped off oh and goodness. landed in a fall pad. I then went on to do over... 4,000 live comedy sword fighting stunt shows all over the world, including uh, six tours, six USO tours on the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan, where I did over 100 shows. Um, and I went on, I did movies, I worked in Hollywood, I worked with stars, I, uh, I climbed Mount Sinai, I climbed Machu Picchu, I swam through the blue lagoons of Iceland, I, I've been to 30 countries now around the globe. I've done everything I've ever wanted to because of that accident. Wow, that's a, a lot to take in, obviously. But but let's go back. So you did this all after the accident. After the accident. Just like just like Bruce Lee, he did all the movies we know him for after his accident. That's a good point. That's a good point. And he yeah. didn't even want to name his martial art because of that. He didn't want it to be limited by a name or terminology. Right. And it's called the, the, the way of Jeet Kune Do, the, you know, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. It's a way, it's an it's a inspiration, it's a, it's a philosophy. And to me, that, that was my whole thing was the philosophy and the philosophical thought of, of what are we and what, what do we create into our experience? You know, Buddha would say, what you think you become, you create your world. But Krishna would say, you are the culmination of your thought. And uh, Jesus would say, as a man thinketh, so is he. You know, you know, and it's, it's right. like that. It's a universal truth that our thought is creative. And what's really fascinating, if you really want to dive into something interesting, uh, Edgar Mitchell, the Apollo astronaut, created a new science called noetic science. And what happened was noetic science was invented because when he was coming back from space, coming back into, or into, into the atmosphere, he had a transcendental experience, which he couldn't explain. So he started studying spiritual experience and, and trying to magically create a scientifically ex explanation of it, right? And yeah. so what he, when he started studying the concept of thought, he found, they found that they can actually measure thought waves. And the interesting thing was, the thing that they're, they're really fascinated by is your thought waves, when focused, stop at the point you're focused on. Yeah. The waves don't pass that point. And not only <clears> that, they, they, they know something's happening there. They just don't know what it is. But something is creating. So your, your thoughts are truly creative. And that's what science has now started to prove. 
It's fascinating. I've done, you know, some reading on this as well. Joe Dispenza, you know, uh, right. quantum physics and quantum mechanics. And uh, I had long ago, I don't remember that it was a Japanese scientist. This was probably 20 years ago um, that he was doing studies with ice crystals yep. and thoughts and words spoken upon the ice crystals and angry words would literally disrupt the ice crystals. It no longer had an, a, a crystal form. Um, and ha happy, positive words, joy, love, etc., would affect it and be a beautiful under a microscope, be a beautiful um, crystal or the opposite, kind of a broken up uh, crystal. But they also went to a lake that had all this pollution and moss and all these people, 100 people, 200 people holding hands, thinking positive things to the lake. And it started literally healing the pollution and the moss mm. in the lake. It's fascinating. Uh, yeah. And so that brings us back to ourselves and that we're energy we are not just the bodies the body is something we experience but we aren't the body and so all these emotions get trapped within us thoughts get trapped limiting beliefs obviously so let me ask you i had uh, and a lot of people suffer from chronic illness chronic uh, fatigue chronic you know uh, injuries and often they're coupled with emotion Right. When you stub your toe, you don't hold on to it emotionally. It's a it's a five minute thing and you move on. But when you have a more chronic or uh, eventful traumatic event, we hold on to that. That energy doesn't move through us. It gets trapped in our thoughts, in our belief system. So I had had a motorcycle accident uh, 20, 30 years ago, Live, uh, riding in New York City, living down there. Not a great place to ride a motorcycle uh, if anyone is listening and doing that. Uh, and some people walked out in front of me. I had to go down on my right side, really landed hard on it. And at the same time, emotionally, I was going through something very serious as well. And I was losing belief and faith in myself as a writer. Uh, it was really a dark period. And so I was riding that night in a really foul place. And I crashed only real accident on a bike I've ever had. The cops said to me, you know, uh, after they had arrived, we find guys like you, usually like bags of sand after an accident. Mm. And so there's all this trapped um, energy, trapped emotions, regrets, disappointments. Um, and then I'd had meniscus surgery a few years ago, and then I had re-injured the knee and a no Western doctors have ever really been able to figure out what's wrong with it. It doesn't come up on any of the MRIs. And there's a belief between my wife and I, you've actually met my wife, uh, Jennifer Dawn, um, oh, that it's just cool. all this trapped energy, trapped beliefs. Let's talk about that because that's something I think a lot of people suffer from. And what would you uh, recommend how they move through it? Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to come at it from a very esoteric sort of way because sure. I have a very, very strong belief about this. Um, I truly 100% believe that we are what we believe. And if you believe things are trapped within you, then they are. Yeah. You know? um, and so the, the concept of the creation of self is all about what we believe about ourselves. So for instance, um, uh, I, when I moved to Ohio, I didn't want to move to Ohio. I moved here because my ex-wife brought my son to Ohio. I grew up at a beach resort and I didn't want to come to Ohio <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, and I got, got here to Ohio and I said, okay, I, I, I need to, and that's, I, I, I kind of paused here because this was in a different time of my life. I no longer use the word need and I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit, but um, I need to, at that time, uh, find a, steady source of income while I'm still doing my speaking and my comedy show. So I decided very clearly that I'm going to be a college professor. And so I started focusing my belief was, I'm going to be a college professor. And the more I get stayed focused on being a college professor, and then I'll come back to the injuries and all that in a second. Yeah. And this is, this is just a story to sure. explain this. Um, so I started focusing on being a college professor and believing that I was going to be. The next thing that happened was I got hired to choreograph fights for a, a play called My Favorite Year at one of the big local theaters here. And uh, there had several sword fights in that play. And I went in and I did the sword fights. And the, uh, the guy who was the star of that show 
said, Hey, you're, you're a really good fight director. You know, have you ever thought about teaching like a master class, like come in and teach one, one course, one class? I said, sure. I'd love to. He said, well, I'm the Dean of theater for Oberlin college. So I went out and I taught one class for him. And then after I finished the one class, he says, I wanted to see how well you taught. Would you like a semester? And I taught there for eight more years. Mm. Um, you know, so I, my belief is what created. Now, in my, in, when I, my back was damaged, um, I could take the doctor's belief. And if I took that doctor's belief, I would, I swear to you, I would not be here right now. I, I, I would be dead by now. because my body would have just given up on itself. Um, But because I chose my own belief, I went on to do over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting sun shows. And, you know, to everybody who was looking on, that was impossible. But, you know, your belief. So if you have chronic situation, the first thing I would say is, is, (laughs) it's going to sound funny, uh, be born again. Start stacking present moments that are different from your past because if it's chronic, and I'm using the quote symbols there, if it's chronic, it's because it's a subconscious belief that you're working from. Mm-hmm. And that subconscious belief is just recreating. And yeah. so you can change your belief at any time. And if you want to look at it from a quantum physics level, you know, when you, when you hold your hand up in front of your face and you look at your hand, according to Einstein, that hand is nothing but an energy event, not even a solid, just an energy event. Right. That's what all those atoms are. But the air between your eyes and that hand are the same thing, and so are your eyes. The only thing you really are manifesting into your experience is your thought. And if you can create your thought into a place, there's a a famous story about um, Hindu gurus who would come to a river, and the river was raging, and they couldn't cross the river. And what what they did, it's right in the old text, what they did was they projected their consciousness to the other side of the river and manifested their body on the other side of the river and kept walking. Right. <laughs> you know, and right. because they, under, they understood that they are the thought, not the body. Right. And so they would. And now I wish I could do that. I'd be going to Maui right now. But, right. <laughs> you know, but um, um, and, and who knows, maybe we all can do that. It's a matter of well, perhaps of astral projection will bring you there. Yeah. Right. Maybe astral projection is simply the first part of it. Yeah. You actually project yourself somewhere and then you take the next step of manifesting the body around your actual projection. So you have the visualization and then you have, you know, everyone talks about the law of attraction, but the law of attraction is not me just saying, Hey, I'd like a million dollars or whatever it might be. It's a visualization. It's an emotional, but it's also a, an energetic frequency that has to match with where you are. So you can't say, I want great love, but be in a miserable place. It's not going to happen. Right. As Gandhi would say, you have to be the change you want to see. So yes, sir. if I want love in my love, I have to be love first. Uh, I one time, one of the greatest compliments I ever got from a performer, he says, John, I came and watched your show. He says, and I've watched lots of shows. He says, and, and a lot of, a lot of times the performer will come on stage and they'll spend 15 to 20 minutes to warm the audience up. He says, but you walk on stage and they just love you. Why is that? And I said, because I love them first. Yeah. I walk on stage expecting to have a great time with them and, and working together. You know, when I was, uh, in 2000, I spent a month traveling all through Egypt, and I, and I ended up climbing Mount Sinai, which was f- f- phenomenal. Um, but um, <laughs> on that trip, on that trip, everywhere I went, I was treated like an absolute prince. But I was, I mean, that's what I was giving. I, I treated everyone with, with respect because that's the way I believe you live your life. Yeah. And so I was having a great time. People were, I was getting gifts. I was, people were like, like just throw, throwing themselves at me to be really nice to me to give you an example when you climb mount sinai you start climbing at one o'clock in the morning and when i started climbing at one o'clock in the morning the reason you start at one o'clock in the morning is because you reach the top at sunrise and so you're on the top of mount sinai watching the sunrise over the sun phenomenal yeah so one o'clock in the morning i start climbing at 2 30 in the morning so i've been climbing for an hour and a half i hear on the side of mount sinai in the darkness i hear john john which was kind of trippy if you really think about it. Right. <laughs> you thought you're hearing voices. <laughs> yeah, on the side of Mount Sinai. Right. 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 But it wasn't, it wasn't God. God? It was the ma- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the manager of the hotel climbing the mountain to give me his coat because he thought it'd be cold. Wow. That's how I, that's how I was treated. Yeah. So the next, next day I came down from the mountain. You bring love, you receive love. Right, right. 
And the next day I came down, I went to St. Catherine's Monastery. I'm walking through there and I hear this voice say, hey, hey, are you American? And I said, yeah, I'm American. He says, have you been having problems since you've been here? I said, no, everybody's treating me like a prince. He says, everywhere I go, people want to fight me. And five minutes later, I wanted to kick that guy. <laughs> you also wanted to fight him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what he was putting out. And, and he kept saying, I'm a martial artist. I'll kick all their butts. Yeah. And, you know, I was a martial artist too, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't putting that out. I'm here to fight you, you know. I yeah. think a martial arts is, is more of a mental discipline than, a, than an offensive style, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so when I look at him, he, that's all he cared about was, was you, know, def, you know, being the tough power guy. And I'm like, yeah. I, I, I'll be loved because that's what you know, we're supposed to be, you know, love yeah. one another. He, he had his ego, right, saying I'm tough because deep down he was scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clearly he was scared bringing that fear to him, with him to wherever he went. And that is that is the struggle of life. You know, in, in Sufism, they talk about the 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 God being on one side of a veil and we're on the other side of the veil and our life is the struggle against the veil. Mm. And when they talk about the veil itself, the veil is fear. That's what they yeah. say. Right. And God is love. God is the pure essence of love, which is exactly yeah. what John, John the Apostle said, too. We have that struggle. I'll tell you the, one of the most fascinating things that I find when I study my spirituality can combine it with neurolinguistics and hypnosis and all the mental, the, the brain science is in Buddhism, the, the most famous Buddhist quote is life is suffering. Right. But when, but when you take the word that they translated to suffering, it's dukkha and dukkha ha, ha, does not translate to English well, because it's a broader concept that has three very distinct translations. And when you read the three translations and then combine them, you get a broader meaning of what that actually means. The first uh, translation is pain or suffering. The second translation, get this one, is habitual response. And the third one is uh, past experience. And so basically what he's saying is life is pain and suffering because of habitual response because of our subconscious beliefs. Yep, absolutely. And so when you're going through a pain and you have a chronic anything, you are going through your pain and suffering of your habitual responses because of your, your belief and your subconscious belief of pain and suffering or yeah. the chronic illness. Yeah. And, you know, I'm standing here, I'm, sta- well, I'm sitting here right now, but I'm in front of you today and I still have spina bifida occulta. I yeah. still, I, it didn't go magically go away, but, but I have defied all the odds and I've done everything they told me I never would do because I have that belief yeah. that I can do that. And so if you want to carry a chronic illness along with you, I don't ever have back issues. Mm-hmm. I, I never do. And, uh, you know, your body may be formed in some certain way. Now, you know, if you're a believer in reincarnation, I could have had a back injury in another life that caused this, you know, if you believe in reincarnation. Yeah. <clears throat> or it may just be a simple birth defect. It really doesn't matter. But it's my belief about my experience that's creating my experience. Yeah, I, I've had chronic back issues, leg issues, you know, um, and it's it's curious because it's all in landmark periods of my life that there was struggle and and something disheartening that had taken place, and coincidentally, it it, um, it coalesced in some physical attribute mm-hmm. right right um but to get back what, what you're saying we, we've been studying this gentleman a uh, sud guru uh and he was saying about these compulsion when you have the compulsion of, of sort of an unconscious thought it's it's you're not conscious you are simply repeating it's that old line of if you repeat yourself you know uh and, and expect something different well it's not going to be different because you keep repeating yourself this compulsion of this pain this suffering, this trap belief of some suffering, some disappointment, some regret. Um, you keep living that existence. Doesn't matter if time keeps taking along, this is your existence. Um, so let's move on from here. I mean, it's a fascinating topic. Obviously, we could go on for hours, days, lifetimes, uh, speaking about <laughs> relinquishing this. This is why the Buddha is not suffering, because he's relinquished this. Uh, and if we all relinquish these negative belief systems, these limiting beliefs, these things we developed in childhood of 
not lovable, whatever it might be, it's all a lie. It's all this, this perpetuation, these limiting beliefs of that we create as our identity when in fact it is not our identity. Right. And if, if you step back, all limiting belief is based in some fear. Right. You know, it's a, it's a fear. And, and, you know, Buddha says the secret to enlightenment is the eradication of fear. And so the more we can, can deal with our fears. Now, the interesting thing is when you talk about fear, you have to think about what is fear. And uh, I ask audiences all over the world to give me a definition and the audiences always go silent. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it could, and then somebody in the back of the room will go, you know, false evidence appearing real, which is the trope that you come, is going right, on right, right, right now, right? And, but when you break it down scientifically, all fear really is, is negatively focused on certainty because you know it, it's an emotional reaction to some future event that may or may not happen with you focused on a negative outcome. Isn't so, it? Go, sorry, if go you're, ahead. If you're, if, if you're focused on a positive outcome, you wouldn't be afraid. So it's, it's definitely you focused on a negative outcome. It's amazing. And at some point, we try to control life. Hmm. The outcomes, the experience, the ego, the psyche get in the way. And it's because of this paralysis that someone's going to say, hey, you're deep down, you're afraid, you're in pain. And all it does is cause us trouble. So, for instance, I play softball and my brain's always like, I want to do this and I want to do that. And the ego is trying to control how I'm going to hit. How I'm gonna... And all it does is take me out of the experience. I'm no longer in that joyful mindset as I was as a child playing. I can't experience the joy because now I've been trying. It's so important to succeed this end right. goal, no longer right. in the present. Right, right. Yeah, it, but that's the perfect way to say it. I said earlier that I, I don't say the word need anymore, right? I, there are certain words I just don't say in my, in, my, in my life. Wanting, needing, hoping, and trying are the top, top ones. I don't say those words because they're not non-creative in the present moment. Most people set goals and then they, they, they feel like they have to struggle to get to them or they feel like they need that thing. Right. All they're really saying about their present moment is they don't have it, right? They don't feel and, enough in the present moment. Right. And the interesting thing is, is they're never going to get to something in the future because that's Absolutely. not the way it works. The way it works is you stack present moments here and it comes to you. Right. And if, and if, and when, when you do experience it, it's going to be in your present moment. It's not going to be Absolutely. in the future. You can't go to the store next Thursday right now. Right? Yep. It's only right now. And if you really break it down, it's really very, very simple because your past is just a collection of present moment memories. Your future is just a place where you set goals for present moments, but everything happens in the here and now. That's what Bruce Lee was talking about, about yeah. staying very present, but yeah. in the present, keeping serene keeping you know clean of fear and, and anxiety and keeping just prepared you know i'm going to casually go through life and i'm going to be prepared for whatever comes along and i'm going to stay flexible with it and i'm going to move along you know the subconscious mind behind you is fascinating to me because it has two jobs one is to collect those memories and give you the underlying belief and two is to show you what you're focused on um i'm a i'm a big jeep fan so I drive down the road. I see every Jeep on the road. I see the ones that are parked next to houses. You know, I see the, the front end of them sticking around the back of the house. I, I spot Jeeps everywhere. But that's my conscious focus is Jeeps. I love Jeeps. Yeah. When I get in my car, I think Jeep. Right. And so Do you have a Jeep? I have one in my garage right okay. now. Okay, all right. Right now. Yeah, that's my sixth one, actually. Um, but when I, but even, even that, when I, when, I, when I decided to buy my Kia Optima, I searched what kind of car I wanted I, and I chose a Kia Optima and I started seeing Kia Optimas everywhere because yes. my conscious focus went there. Right? Yes. So it's the same thing. Negative people see negative stuff because they're focused on the negative. And by focusing on the negative, their, their subconscious mind is showing them negative, which is making them create a negative present moment, which is stacking a negative moment in their past. So yep. they have this un over, you know, unending treadmill that's just rolling back and forth of negativity. And the only way you break that cycle is to quote unquote, be born again, shut down the past and start something new. And the way you mm -hmm. do that is take your thought word and deed and make it very present moment active and staying very positive. Because when you focus positive, it'll show you positive. And then you stack a positive moment. Eventually you push all that junk back 
you know, my, my past is an interesting one because my, my back was the second of what I would consider the traumas in my life. Hmm. The first was I had, I had an emotionally abusive and alcoholic father and of his seven kids, I was the one he didn't like, you know? So I was the one who was getting the brunt of the hate. Yeah. And it, it manifested in the fact that I, by middle school, I was a complete introvert. I was, you know, I was, I was 265 pounds at 14 years old. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I, I was, I felt like nobody liked me. I felt everybody hated me. And I just tried to be as invisible as possible all the time. And, you know, I look at what I've done now in my life, you know, <laughs> I've, I've stood on stages with thousands of people in front of me. I've, I've been, I worked with Brad Pitt and David Duchovny and, and, uh, you know, big stars. And I've been around some of the heavy movies and shakers for some of the fortune 500 companies I speak to, you know, I've been around, amazing people and been in front of huge audiences that are very uh, big movers and shakers in the world. And I, I have no issue with that anymore because I stay very present. And here's the other thing. I, I don't uh, attribute anything more than myself on someone else. So there's nobody who is, is higher than me. Right. I think of everyone as an equal. There's also no one lower than me. So, uh, you know, racism doesn't fall into my category because there's no one lower than me. You know, so I don't have that that thought process. You know, I just love and trust everybody in my world because that's the life I want to live. I want to I I want to yeah. create a world that's loving and caring and and equal. And so that's how I have to be, as Gandhi would say. How you know you, you mentioned um, obviously probably low self esteem growing up and uh, invisible. How did you? You know, a lot of people can overcome that or by pushing it aside and not dealing with it and it manifests in other ways. Um, you know, all these negative thoughts will create stress in the body. How did you overcome it then? Was there a resilient voice within you or what did you do at that time? Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting story. I was actually, <laughs> a friend of mine was really into Renaissance festivals and he drugged me to a Renaissance festival. Okay. And when he drugged me to the Renaissance festival, he, he said, we're going to go to the Renaissance Festival, but you're going to wear a costume. And I was like, oh, you know, because that, that, that's not invisible. You know, that's not <laughs> what yeah, I wanted. Right? right. And not only that was I going to wear a costume, he had a uh, full chainmail Viking oh, Lord. Horned, horned helmet and all. Yeah. So here I was, this big giant guy in this horned helmet and the Viking, and they took me into that Renaissance Festival. And suddenly I was the center of attention. And I was getting all of this positive reinforcement all day long. How good you looked, how great you looked, right. how awesome you looked. By the, by the next year, I had made my own suit and I yeah. had gone back. Yeah. By the third year, I was a cast member. Now here, I, it was really fascinating about this. I became one of the very popular street characters of that Renaissance Festival. I was hmm. a character known as Darian the Barbarian. It was just a, Okay. A giant, he looked like a giant Viking killer, but he was a child in the mind. And so it was a right. very, it was a dichotomy. And I became very popular. But what was really interesting to me was now when I look back, especially Darian could do anything. Yeah. But John couldn't. Of course. And then over the course of some time there, I shifted, I became, eventually became another character named Cyril the Chicken Hearted, the Cowardly Knight. Okay. And, um, which was another funny character. Big became very popular. I became the fight director of the fair. And I was, I, but, you know, when you have been so repressed and suddenly you get all this positive reinforcement, then your ego gets out of hand mm. and it go, and it swings the opposite way. And then I right. had a struggle with, I had a struggle with ego for a very long time. Yeah. And, and I didn't know I was having a struggle with ego, but it was causing turmoil in my friendships. Yeah. And, over the course of many years, I learned that my ego had to be in check. And so yeah. I started bringing, bringing that back. And uh, when I went on to do my hack and slash comedy show, which went all over the world, um, I found that I was really enjoying those shows, but I felt kind of hollow in the fact that I was bringing laughter, but I didn't feel like I was bringing change. And what was happening was after the show, I would sit in the audience and I would just talk to people and I would find that I could help them break free of their limiting beliefs and get it outside of their head and change their experience. So I said, how can I create a life where I can, where I can 
help as many people as I possibly can, but still do whips and nunchucks and cool comedy stuff and you know, yeah. something really fun. So I put together the corporate action hero. And that's, that's what I do now is I go into the, and I specifically chose going into corporations because I, when I look at people who I, friends of mine who are in the corporate world, they, they, it's so dog eat dog. And so they feel yes. so beaten down and cut their bottom I, line. Yep. Right. And their, their inner power is gone. Right. And I find, you know, if they could be dynamic and, and empowered, I think the companies will grow. And what happened was when I started bringing that into the corporate environment, those companies that I spoke for started having big changes in, in their, in their uh, bottom lines, because suddenly their people were not only empowered, but they felt their own purpose that, of why they were doing, why they were working at that company. Why were, why were they there? Yeah, you know, and they suddenly had had a purpose and a reason, and then they felt dynamic and empowered. And next thing you know, their their the companies were changing. So that's how I ended up getting involved in in the corporate world and the corporate speaking. But you know, it all comes back to: am I am I an action hero? The word the word action means to create motion, start momentum, or to do something. Mm-hmm. The word hero is someone who achieves an extraordinary result in service of others. Mm-hmm. And so, my my life is all about the service. Yeah. And and then what I do is I, I I go into and I talk to somebody and I get them to be action heroes and not reaction zeros. I you know I want them to not be living in their reaction, but but actually being active and creating a, an experience that serves. A few things on, on that. And um, I don't remember the Shakespeare line exactly. So I'm kind of butcher it uh, much more poetic. Um but he was saying essentially regarding acting, uh, he said, you know, you have the freedom when you act or when you write something, you could say or do anything you want. But when, in real life, you're unable to do that. But when you wear a mask, you're able to right. free yourself. Um, but what you're saying about, you know, I think a lot of people, there is a, a change taking place and people are let's just say for a back, lack of better word, waking up. But, you know, many people feel powerless. They go to work, their bills left and right. They're busy, busy, busy. And that part of them, that essence, that broader self is left behind with the responsibilities, the dogmatic, I got to do this and that. And so I think, you know, obviously our education system needs to change, you know, our philosophies on what we're teaching children to not be homogenized, but to be that individual, their creative self, their, their broader self, you know, uh, and I think if we tap into that earlier on, we're going to transform the world blossom uh, as a society, but just by giving people these little threads that you seem to be offering, and it's not, you're just saying, hey, take my hand, hey, we're okay. We're in this together, sort of brings people out of that box. Like your friend did for you uh, with the Renaissance Fest is like, Oh my God, I have, I have joy. I can, my joy exists. I'm allowed to be joyous. I don't just have to be a working putz every day. And when they shift from being allowed to being, I am yeah, is when they when their life changes mm-hmm. because you know, it, we live in the I am moment, mm-hmm. not the, I will be, or I was moment. And, you know, Jesus said, whatever you ask in God's name is granted, but Moses said, God's name is I am. And so whatever you're saying and believing about your I am moment, about your present moment is what you're creating with your experience. So um, when I look at somebody, my goal is to get them to be completely empowered at the end. So when I do one of my big corporate speeches, I, I go out in my audience, I choose the most timid person I can find and bring them in front of a thousand people, <laughs> right? Which is like terrifying for them, terrifying yeah. for them. Yeah. The first thing I do is as I bring them to the stage, I smile at them and at them, not, I don't play to the audience. I, yeah. I am one-on-one engaged with them. Yeah. Thank you. And then I say, thank you so much for helping me. Right. Because now what I've done is I've activated their service. Now they're helping someone. Mm-hmm. Very, very different purpose for being on stage. Yeah. Th- then I say, uh, I say to the audience, isn't she a rock star? Because I know empathetically her fear is being in front of them and the the reason she has a fear of being in front of them is because she'll fail 
or she won't look good in front of them. Of They'll think something bad about her. Of course. Humiliated. That audience, that audience goes crazy and goes, yeah, she's a rock star. And they're screaming for her, right? Yeah. Always. You know, so I've, I've already negated the fear because they already love her. So there's no way she can, you know, she's going to mess this up, right? So then I start talking about fishing. And, I, and over the course of the next five minutes while talking about fishing, she learns to crack a whip and take targets out of my hand. Right. And something out of the ordinary, obviously. Completely out of the ordinary. And and there's a process by which I do this. I only talk about fishing. I never talk about whips uh, because I want her in the mental space of positivity or calm, relax. Mm -hmm. And when you say whips, people think pain, danger, or frisky Friday night, right? You don't want them thinking. (laughs) Yes, sir. Right, (laughs) right. right. Yeah. And (laughs) you don't want them thinking that way, right? So I I pull out the, I I say, I'm going to teach you the greatest way to cast a fishing rod. Mm -hmm. You stand right here and I'll get you a fishing rod. And I pull out the whip and the audience, and they laugh. And I, hand, and I look at her and I say, look, we're just using this as a fishing rod because it's the same motion. So I'm negating the, the mental process, the belief behind what the whip is. Mm-hmm. Then I turn to the other side of the audience. I get half the audience to make a fish face. Like this. We got the gills flapping and the mouth puckering and the whole bit, right? Now she's laughing. And so she's on stage and she's got a whip in her hand and she's laughing you know, at the people in front of her. I said, just choose which fish you want to catch and cast your fishing rod. And she, kapow, the whip cracks. And then she does it. I said, catch another fish. I get her to crack it several times so that now I've anchored the fact that she can. Right. And then I said, did you hear it crack? She, yeah, I heard, you heard it crack. I go, so you already know how to make it crack. Now, so what I just did was in, in this hand, I do a hand gesture in front of her for you guys listening to the podcast. It's a hand gesture that we all do naturally. When someone gives you a compliment and you get embarrassed by it, you go, oh, stop. And you, you lower your hand from <laughs> in front of their face. Yeah. Stop that, right? In hypnosis, they call that a wipe. And what the interesting thing is, is what I did to her in that moment was I said, did you hear it crack? I made her acknowledge her accomplishment. Yeah. Right. And then I went, wipe and i with a head nod positive reinforcement i said so you already know how to make it crack in that 10 seconds 15 seconds there i just shortened her learning curve from knowledge of from learning a skill to knowledge of the skill she's no longer learning it she now knows it in 15 seconds okay and that's it sounds like a hypnosis trick but everybody has this ability the only thing i changed was her believing it well, you did. It is. I mean, you're disrupting her thought pattern. Yes. And you're exactly introducing right. a new one. Right. Exactly. And then I then I pull out a target and I hold a target in my hand. And I know at that moment, what's the fear she has? She's going to hurt me. That's the that's the thing that immediately comes out because she's going to fail and she's going to hurt me. That's her fear. So before she can even go there, I say, look at me. You heard it crack. You already know how to make it crack. So now I'm reinforcing and anchoring. And I say to her at that moment, I say, all you have to do is cast your fishing rod right at the target, right at the fish you want to hit, which is right here. I promise you're not going to hurt me. I literally tell her she's not going to hurt me. You know, and if she's in her fear, absolutely she could, could hurt me. Sometimes you got to lie to people. It's just the way it is. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that if I can keep her out of her fear, right. and I can keep her focused on what she wants to go and relax. But in that moment, when she's in front of a thousand people, the one th- and her one fear is she, she's going to hurt me. And I say, I promise you're not going to hurt me. I've just right. taken that off the table. So what happens next is she casts her fishing rod and she hits the target and that does not touch me. And I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the most fascinating thing in everything I just said. All that happens in five minutes. Five minutes. She goes from never having touched a whip, because I asked the audience who here has cracked a whip, and I never choose someone who has, because they have a preconceived notion. Sure. So she goes from never having touched it to not only cracking it, but taking targets out of my hand, which is considered an expert level with a whip. So what what changed in the whole thing? All I did was manage your fear and manage your belief. Yeah. And that's, that's all I really did. And you know, what's fascinating about that is who is she when she leaves? Mm. She's not going to sit cower, cowering in the corner any longer in pain. She's now emboldened, empowered. Now there's a connection. She, she's almost a little bit of a mini celebrity there at, at the uh, event. 
she had a life-changing moment and what's really fascinating is the team that know her and know how timid she is yeah are all like oh my god i can't believe she did it right you're right she becomes a little mini celebrity now here's one here's one more extrapolation of everything i just did so six months down the road the team's floundering again all the all the leader has to do is say remember what the whip guy said because the whip being an explosive sound is, is a, is a neural anchor. Yeah. Right. So they'll remember that experience in fully and all of its content fully yeah. just by mentioning, just by mentioning the whip. So that, that is the trigger that I have now placed in the entire audience. Is a that, positive that, reinforcement or trigger. Yep. And so that, that leader says, remember what the whip guy said, fearlessly focus with faith, follow through with flexibility. Right. <laughs> and bam, the next thing you know, they're back on target and they're back moving again. And it's amazing. So, and it get back to what we started with sort of the limiting beliefs. And now that you've disrupted that, now she kind of has that neural anchor of yep. positive. Oh, I can do this. I can do things. I can get in front of a crowd, you know, et cetera. Right. Right. This is great. I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it, it's, it's fascinating to me because I talk to them. I always make sure I go find them after I'm done. Because yeah. I want to just, I want to go over and reinforce it again. So I always go and say, you were amazing. You were really great. That was yeah. wonderful. You know, and what I, what I find is they jump out of their chair. They run to, and they hug me. They, Thank you so much. You know, to me, to them, that was like life-changing because yeah. not only, not only did they do something amazing, but more, probably more importantly, someone believed they could. That's the key. That's the key. Because if you can't, if, if you brought her up there, or let's say even someone with whip experience mm-hmm. and you were critical and nah, that's not the way you do it right you know it's the same thing with parents or anything else are you allowed to be xyz are you allowed to be this and you're saying well you become it or i am whatever and that's the thing you're, you're opening this this channel of energy this flowing river uh and if we only didn't look at people and go okay no i can't you know, and just believed what we, the sensations, the, the energy, the excitement within us, the, the ebullience, you know, um, it would be, it's just such a different world when someone says yes, or when someone says no, when we are, we are vulnerable to that. If you had right. listened to your doctors <clears throat> who said, nah, you're done. Right. Right. I, I, I would be done right now. I would be done. I'd be done. And when I became a fight director, I, you know, I, I started out as a guy who wanted to do fights and, but at that point in my life, my, you know, I was coming out of the emotional abusive relationship with my father. The next person who made an impact on me was a man named Brad Waller, who was one of the top fight directors in the country. Mm. And he saw me doing fights and he came to me after the season of the Maryland Renaissance Festival, he came to me and said, John, he says, I see talent in you as an actor and a combatant. And I really want to be a part of your growth. And he gave me his training for free. Wow. You know, That's and, amazing. And so this is this was a positive reinforcement that took me to another level, right? Yeah. And so that's how, and actually I, I credit Brad with a lot of the work that I've done in my life as well, because Brad became the founder of an organization known as the International Order of the Sword and Pen, which brings together fight directors from all over the world every other year in Banff, Canada for a big giant workshop called the Patty Crane Workshop. Patty was Patty Crane was Errol Flynn's stunt double. Who I luckily enough had a chance to have a couple classes with, which I thought mm-hmm. was fascinating. Um, but without Brad, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be friends with you know, F. Braun McGash, the fight the fight choreographer for the Highlander TV show, or mm-hmm. uh, Ky- Kyle Rowling, who did uh, stunt doubling for Count Dooku <laughs> and, oh, and General right? Grievous. And and actually, if you watch one of the movies, he's actually in there as a named Jedi Knight named Joe Claude Donva. He has his own action figure, right? So oh. I have all these friends and all these experiences yeah. and, and all these new opportunities because someone was kind to me. Yeah. And someone took me to a new, in a new direction and put me in a new place. You know? yeah. To me, that's fascinating. I'm going to, um, in January, I'm going back up to Canada for another entire uh, workshop that's not even a stage combat workshop. It's, it's an organization that brings laughs around the world for charity. And um, they, they sought me out to go do it because of the fact that they knew who I was. And that all yeah. comes back to the connections I made through Brad. 
Well, the, the world obviously needs more laughter, more joy, more levity, more, you know, a little lighter. Um, but, you know, it's also to go back a little bit, you know, to you synchronicity or whatever word you want to use. You started, you went to this renaissance, which opened up something within you. And then doors started opening. You trusted enough to go to that. And then people started meeting you and you started reaching out and you started traveling down this path. And it's a fascinating thing. One step lead led to the, you could never, the mind, the ego could never say, this is the way it's going to work. Right. right. It's not going to work that way. You don't right. know anything about the future. Well, you want, you want, you want to know, I want to hear a real synchronistic story. This is, a, this is fascinating. I wanted to take our show all over the world, our comedy show, Hack and Slash, all over the world. That was my goal. I was like, I want to make this a touring show all over the world. And the year I set that goal and put that intention out and, and knew that I was going to do it, I had my belief and faith put right behind it. On September 8th, 2001, mm. uh, look at that date, September 8th, I was stepping off stage at the Maryland Renaissance Festival right there in Annapolis. And these two guys walked up and they said, hey, you know, we've been fans of yours for years. Uh, would you like to do USO tours? We're from the Pentagon. And I, we'd love to. Wow. So, so on Sunday, September 10th, we dropped our packet off at their oh, office. Oh, Lord. Right? Yeah. Next day was September 11th, right? Of right. course. They shut down all their offices. Yeah. They, they called us up three weeks later because they shut down to move things around because mm -hmm. of the attack. And they said, how soon can you go? We said, we'll go immediately. And that year that I put out the intention that I wanted to tour traveling the world, I went to 16 countries with the USO. Iceland, England, Norway, Germany, Belgium, Holland, and then Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Pakistan, I believe. <laughs> right? right? And I kept saying, I kept saying, uh, yeah, however many, there were 16 countries. <laughs> and uh, they kept sending, they, we kept going out and we kept seeing all the new things. And then, then, then my, my, my desire for service kicked in and I realized that, you know, the first tour was really mainly Europe. And the first, the first tour was great because as people were being transferred over to Afghanistan, they were on these bases and sleeping in hallways. And so we were actually serving them right where they needed us to serve. Yeah. The se second tour, they sent us to Europe again, but this time everybody was already in theater. So we were, you know, people, when they're on, when you're in, so when you're stationed in Europe, you don't stay on base for entertainment because you're in Europe, right? Right. So you go out, right? So the second tour was kind of like, okay, we're doing another show and, you know, seven people will be here, whatever. So I kept telling our, our host that you need to send us further down range because we need to go where we can be of true service. Yeah. And the third tour, I found myself standing on the flight line in Fallujah, Iraq, with next to a colonel. And I said, I said to him, I said, I kept telling him to send us further down range. And I finished the word range and off quarter mile off to my left, a bomb blew up mm. right as soon as I finished the word range, boom, he, yeah. says, he turned, he says, son, you can't get further down range. Yeah. And we ended up doing uh, all the way out. I did a show um, within eight miles of the Syrian border in the Anbar province. Um, I did, I was the places that, that, that we did, we did shows that the, the actual bases didn't have dining facilities because they were targets. Yeah. You know, we and it, but it was all about my goal was to travel and tour this show, but also be of service. Yeah. What what did I manifest into that creation? Yeah. Exactly what I put out. Yeah. And you and never you know go. how it's going to turn out. You you never necessarily know how it's going to manifest, how right. it's going to come into your experience. You just have to you just have to be open and flow like water. Yeah. And the saying goes, you know, you can't be selfish when you're of service to others, your heart right. opens. It's closed when you're just worried about yourself. What am I getting? But when you're of service, the heart opens naturally like a flower or closes if you're being selfish. Um, I don't want to keep you all day. I could talk to you for days, weeks. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a lovely conversation. It's wild. Um, um, my sister actually lives in Ohio, so maybe I'll come visit you one day. But Oh, cool. Where, um, where in Ohio? Uh, she lives in both Columbus. She used to live in Akron. Uh, nice. She's got a house on the lake, also Lake Erie. Oh, nice. Um, nice. Or Ashtabula area or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like up, up near Geneva. Something like that. But no, yeah, so yeah. I, I've been to Akron and 
um, Cleveland and all that. But so who knows? Maybe I'll come visit you. We'll have a, a beverage. Be but um, yeah. I don't want to keep you all day. I'm sure you got many things to do. But I, I did want to ask you um, the five F system of achievement. What, what does that stand for? Uh, fearlessly focus with faith, follow through with flexibility. And what that system does is it hacks that fight or flight response to break you out of your fears to achieve more. Um, <clears throat> and I can get, I can go for another hour on what the five F's are and how we do that. But, um, if I was to knock it down really quickly, overcoming your fear is literally a matter of, of you realizing that it is uncertainty and that you exhale and release the tension of it. Because that when you're in the tension of it, your body is holding air, which means uh, you you can't feel like you can't breathe. Yep. But when you exhale and release, you suddenly uh, turn off the fight or the fight or flight response and turn the cognitive thinking back back on. Next thing is to get positively focused on a goal, so you're aiming towards a goal. So you get fearlessly focused. You have to believe that you're going to achieve it. So you have to have that faith. So fearlessly focus with faith. The next step is just to simply take small actions. Start stacking present moments positively. So that, that next one is follow through. And then the last one is the one we kind of started our whole conversation on, which is flexibility. Staying very flexible when things come up that seem contrary to what you're trying to achieve. Realize that you're focused on a goal. And if something comes up, it's because your subconscious mind is showing you the things you need to address to get to your goal. It, it doesn't show you things that are going to stop you. So you have to keep your mind flexible enough to go, okay, because just like those Jeeps that I saw, this thing came up because I was focused on the positive outcome. And that positive outcome is coming to me and surrounding my experience, depending on what I do right here and right now. Beautiful stuff, John. I can okay. see the love in your eyes. I don't, you wouldn't say that usually to a man, but I, I can see the <laughs> love. Uh, uh, you can I, see I, the essence of what you bring forward. I, I believe that we are supposed to be love. That is, that is my honest to God life. You know, I am, <laughs> uh, I am John, the beloved guy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, maybe right. don't say uh, that to too many people, but. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but I'll tell you what, what I do want to do, I want to make sure your audience gets this, this, uh, this free gift I have. And it is a free gift. Okay. I will not even take their email address because I okay. believe that today is about bringing value, not taking from. Yeah. And, it's my 5F workbook. It'll take you through your own 5F, breaking through your fears, setting goals, and moving forward process. And the way you get that is um, corporateactionhero.com slash gift. Um, and if you're looking for me in general, you just go to corporateactionhero.com. You're going to find my LinkedIn, my Twitter, all that stuff. I also have the Interaction Hero podcast. Um, and I do a daily vlog, which is both on my website and on YouTube. So you can find it there as well. And if you really are into the spiritual aspect of what I do, I have my super secret <laughs> spiritual podcast that I do with Tamara Zoner, the happiness coach called Spirit Cafe Podcast. And it's spirituality without guilt or, or the dogmas of religion. I, I will have to check all of that out <laughs> because it's, you know, again, very nice meeting. And part of why I have this podcast myself, uh, you know, I'm a writer, but the podcast is also about, for me, making connections. Mm. It's not just really about interviewing people, though that's obviously what I'm doing. Um, because uh, what is it? Strangers are, are strangers until they become friends or whatever the expression right, right. is. I, I wouldn't have known you or met you any other way or, you know. Um, and that's what this is about, is making connections. Right, right. And, and you know, for me, that... This, this new platform that came out, Podmatch, has been tremendous because yep. I've met amazing people, yep. amazing people on Podmatch. It's, I'm, you know, there's, there's people on there who, when you hear their stories, you're just blown away by, by what they're bringing to the game. I was fascinated, you know, on, a, on my own podcast, Interaction Hero. I've had amazing people coming on as guests. It's been yeah. tremendous. Yeah. So, again, John Davis, uh, Corporate Action Hero. You can find him at www.corporateactionhero.com. And you do... Uh, corporate speaking and speaking wherever and and, and, and i the, what i'll say about my speaking is when i come in i bring an experience i don't bring any powerpoints or or projectors or screens it's an in the room right there present moment experience and it's fun it's interactive and they will walk out of there and actually the last thing that your audience will do in one of my programs is they will scream that they are action heroes 
and, yeah. say, and they'll leave that room charged and, and they'll be talking about it the rest of the day. That's what we all need. We all need those, those moments every day yes. to make us feel alive, to make us find that purpose again of why we even exist, you know? And right, right now as we're coming out of COVID, you know, it's fascinating to me because I watch my, my career uh, from, okay, how are we affected right now? And right now I'm getting booked like crazy because we're coming out of a time of adversity, a yep. time of stress and anxiety. And we're going into this place where really we've got to get that power back going so we can, we can create new momentums. And so right now, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get booked like crazy because of the fact that it is, is needed right now. You know, a lot of companies will give motivation at the time when they're you know, riding high and they feel like they can spend money, but sure. that's not when the people need the motivation. They need it yep. right now when it's you know, happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, it's been such a treat uh, speaking to you and spending uh, you know, an hour and 15 minutes together. Oh, it's been, has it been that long, really? This is a, well, it's actually longer because we were talking before the, uh, the recording. <laughs> so. It's a great and easy conversation. You bring a great, great, uh, great uh, environment to to just converse. I think it's great, wonderful. Thank you. Den of discussion, my friend. Yeah, in the den of discussion. <laughs> we need that. I'm going to record that. <laughs> Don, thanks so much. Have a great day. All right. All right. Thanks. See you. Be well. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to The Douglas Robbins Show. To find out more about Douglas and his books, check out douglasrobbinsauthor.com.